turn to Psalm 46. That is where we are going to be. Also, if you are a guest here joining us, I just wanted to say welcome. Glad you are here with us. My name is Pastor Justice. In Psalm 46, well, we're going to start by reading Psalm 46 here, and then we'll talk about it. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. God, we know that you are here with us this morning. You are in our midst. And as we asked earlier, we asked that you would speak to us, that you would be exalted not just among the nations and in the earth, but you'd be exalted here amongst your church. Help us to be still in this moment and to hear what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we start working through each of these verses, I just wanted to give a little information on this psalm as a whole. The little bits before verse 1 that I unfortunately forgot to read um, are actually a part of the psalm. It says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. Um, so that's a part of the psalm itself. It's, it's actually there in the original. We did not add that. Um, it's thought to be giving some sort of musical instruction or direction, whether instrumentally or vocally, we're not sure, but it's supposed to have something to do with musical instruction. Um, this psalm has often been called Luther's psalm. It was one that he would usually sing when he was in trouble, when things looked dark, when enemies appeared to triumph, or when disaster seemed to come over the cause that he was engaged in, whenever he was afraid, when his friends were dispirited or disheartened, he would often say, come, let us sing the 46th Psalm together. We are not sure for what particular occasion this psalm was written, but it was likely during a time in which there were wars and calamity, reading through it, it seems kind of obvious, all around the nation of Israel. And in this psalm, you can likely see in your Bible, it's broken into three 
sections. The first section speaks generally of God being a refuge and a strength in times of trouble. The second section focuses on God being a joy and a peace to his people. And the third section boasts of the power and the might of God. And finally, after each section, we see the word selah. So there is some debate on exactly what the word means and what its purpose is, but it is thought to be a musical term that means a suspension or a pause. And it can also mean to lift up or exalt. And it makes sense here if you're singing this as a song, which it was, to sing a section and then pause before singing the next section to lift up, exalt the name of the Lord, or just to think about what was just sung. Like uh, taking a moment to meditate on what we were just singing. And we actually, we do that up here as a church. Sometimes we will play instrumentally a little longer between lines or verses and songs, or sometimes between the songs themselves for this very reason, so that we can all take a moment and ponder and meditate what we just sang. To pause and consider the holiness of God. To pause and consider the love of Christ. To pause and consider the working of the Holy Spirit. So just as an encouragement before we get into this psalm, um, for everyone here, take time to do that whenever we provide that space. We aren't doing instrumental solos up here because we like to show off. Um, If we are doing that, it is intentional. So with that being said, let us move into verse 1. It says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. The word refuge here means a refuge or shelter from rain, from a storm, or from danger. And the word actually comes from a verb meaning to flee. As in a place that you would flee for protection from anything that would threaten you. The idea here is that God's people, in times of danger, would flee to Him and consider Him to be the place that they can find shelter and protection when things come against them. And the word strength here implies that God is the source of strength to us when we are weak and when we're helpless. When we're weak and helpless, we can feel just as safe in His strength as if His strength was our own strength. Regardless of how weak we may be or how weak we may feel, we can rest in God's strength. God is our refuge and strength. It says a very present help in trouble. Very present help. You could say here, exceedingly near and abundantly accessible help. Church, God is not far away. He is not hard to reach. His help is right here, it's right now, and it is accessible to you. And He is accessible to you in the midst of your trouble. He is very near to you in the midst of distress. There's all sorts of troubles of life that we all go through, lots of troubles out there in the world, and in the midst of those, God is our refuge, He is our strength, He is a very near help in the midst of whatever that is that is happening in your life. And so, if that is true, what shall we say then? And it says right here, therefore we will not fear. Our confidence in God shall not be shaken. 
if He is our refuge and He is our strength and our help, we don't need to fear. We don't need to fear, church. And if you listen to this next part, we will not fear even if what? It says, even if the earth gives way. Literally, it means even if there is the changing of the earth, even if something were to happen that would literally change the shape of the earth, even if the earth were to pass away, whatever craziness is going on in the world, even if that should destroy the world itself, we're told not to fear. We shall not fear, it says. Though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea. Who has seen mountains? Not like Missouri hills, but like mountain mountains, like big mountains, okay? They are a sight to see. They are massive, huge, breathtaking things. And I cannot possibly imagine moving a mountain, period, or a mountain being moved into the heart of the sea. If there's anything that is stable and rooted and fixed in our world, it's a mountain. And so if we were to take this literally, even if something insane happened that moved mountains into the heart of the sea, some kind of crazy disaster, we will not fear. And if you were to take it figuratively, as if it were talking about seemingly rooted things such as nations and kingdoms on the earth, even if America were to be thrown down and brought to nothing, wiped from the earth, whatever crazy change may come, we will not fear. Even if that happens, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, song is saying. He is a place of safety for us, even if that were to happen. Even though the waters of the sea roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling. Have you ever seen, have you ever been on a boat in the ocean when it's really rough and stormy and it's shaking around? Um, It's intense. If you've ever seen huge waves crash against the side of a cliff, it's powerful and it's chaotic. And Florida just experienced the raging of the ocean a couple of weeks ago with the hurricane that went through. They saw up close its destruction, the destruction of the waters roaring and foaming. I read uh, earlier this week that the estimated cost and damages done is expected to come in at over $100 billion from the hurricane. So this picture is being painted of, of mountains moving the sea and waters roaring and foaming. Even if the world seems to be going crazy, falling apart, disasters, even if nations and kingdoms are falling, even if the earth itself would seem to be destroyed, we shall not fear. All of these things that should inject fear and panic into everyone, right? That it should, but not God's people because He is our refuge, He is our strength, a very present help in trouble. Selah. Pause and reflect on that for a moment. With all the craziness going on in the world and in your life at this moment, conflict in your marriage, difficulty with your kids, disagreements with your friends, loss of a job or a loved one, car trouble, sickness, pain, depression, the wars going on in the world, talk of economic collapse, upcoming elections, whatever it is that may be causing you trouble and distress in your life, church, you should not fear. 
God is your refuge. God is your strength. He is your very present help. That's what it's saying here. And then moving on, in contrast to the raging and foaming of the ocean and the mountains being moved into the sea and trembling, we have in verse 4 an image of a river. It says, whose streams make glad the city of God. So the psalmist is painting here a picture of peace and calm and security. This river and its streams flow through the city of God, the place where he dwelled. It says, God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns, and the city of God is his people. Jerusalem was considered as the place God was worshipped, the Old Testament, where he dwelt. But we know that time came and is here now where we don't have to go there to worship. We worship in spirit and truth. Amen? God dwells with us, his people, here right now. He is here with us this morning. We have God the Son, Christ Jesus, in us. We have God the Holy Spirit dwelling in each believer. And God, again, is meeting with us right here, right now, this morning in our church. He is in our midst. And so that river whose streams make glad God's people, where does it come from? It comes from God himself. It comes from God himself. He is the source of the river. He is the source of gladness and peace. Psalm 16:11 says, "In your presence, in the presence of God there is fullness of joy." And God is here in our midst. And if you look at where this is sandwiched here, it is between the roaring and raging of the ocean and the mountains being thrown down, and between nations raging and kingdoms tottering. It says God utters his voice and the earth melts, saying everything becomes still. The danger passes away at God's command. The raging world becomes calm. So in the midst of all that's going on, God is the source of gladness and peace. In the midst of everything going on in your life and everything going on in the world, God's people can be glad. God's people can be glad. The Hebrew word here means to brighten up, to cause glee, to cheer, to make joyful, to make merry. So in my mind, as I was pondering this, I pictured chaos from raging storms and oceans and quaking mountains on one side of this little city and wars and unrest on the other side of this little city and this bright light in the middle of the city in the midst of it with a river running through it and little streams going out to each home bringing joy and peace. It's coming from God, our refuge, in the midst of the chaos. So church, not only is there a place of safety that you can run to when your life is crazy and the world seems to be falling apart, but there is someone you can go to for peace and joy. You can rejoice and be glad when everything around you seems to be falling apart. Not because you trust in yourself, not because you trust in your situation or your circumstances or other people, you can rejoice and be glad in God. He is the source of our joy and our peace, and it can be had even when everything around you is in chaos. The Lord of hosts, it says, is with us. The God of Jacob 
is our fortress, the God who commands armies of angels, all the hosts of heaven. He is with us. He is with you. So what do you have to fear? If God is our fortress, our strong tower, which literally is saying a high place far above the reach of enemies, then who can snatch you from God's hand? Who can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ? Church shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8 We can be sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Selah, it says. Pause and reflect on that for a moment. Whatever it is that is going on in your life this morning, things seemingly out of your control, your health, your family, your finances, politics, the culture, none of that can separate you from God's love for you. Peace and joy are still available to you. Sometimes it might feel like It's not, but it is, because God is with you, and you will not be moved. He will help you. Moving on to the last section here. We're being reminded here of the power of God. It says, come behold the works of the Lord. Come behold His works. Think on what He has done. Think of how he has brought desolation on the earth. Those are displays of God's power. It says that he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. Who do you think ended the wars throughout history? Did, did we end World War I or World War II? Like God might have used people to accomplish his purposes, but he was the one who ended those wars. Make no mistake, it was God who ended them. It says that he makes the weapons of war useless. He destroys them. When it says that he burns the chariots with fire, this is a reference to war chariots. There was a custom back then of collecting all the spoils and weapons of war in a heap and setting them on fire, especially when the victors were unable to remove them or secure them. They wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be able to use those war chariots and those things, again, against them, so they would burn them. The idea here is that God so completely defeats the foe that he prevents them from being able to return and attempt conquest again. He is able to utterly save those who are his. So he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And the be still here means literally to be relaxed or to be slackened. It is employed in the sense of not making an effort, not putting exertion forth. The NASB says to cease striving. So we're not to be anxious, church. 
We are to trust the Lord. He is God. We're supposed to know, not just know, but like know that he is God. Who can work against God? No one. Who can defeat him? No one. Who can do what God is able to do? The, uh, the answer, yes, is obviously no one. God is going to work all of these things so that he gets the glory. God is going to work all of these things so that all the nations, those who do not know him, see that he is the true God, that there is no one like him. God is going to work these things throughout the earth, and he will get his glory. He will use calamity and turmoil and distress to display his majesty and power and goodness and love as he remembers his people in the midst of the chaos. So the peace and the joy that he gives us in the midst of this when we seek him as our refuge, that is a witness and a testimony to the rest of the world. Trials are not just an opportunity to grow, but to show off how good God really is. Difficult times are a chance for you to show everyone what life with Christ is like. We get a chance to show what it looks like to rejoice in the midst of sorrow, to have joy and peace in the midst of darkness and chaos. We can display the love of God in Christ in our lives by standing firm and not being shaken even when the world seems to be on the edge of collapse. And we get to do this because the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Just pause and reflect on that for a moment. Who is like our God, church? Who made the starry host and created the world and all that is in it? And who makes wars end and destroys that which threatens? There is no power in the earth or heavens that comes anywhere near God. And this is the God who is with you. The God who is with you. This is the God who is your fortress. Amen. And before we go any further, I just want to say, we're talking about God being a refuge for us this morning. And the refuge he is for his people. The refuge for his children. But I don't know if everyone here is a child of God. There may be people here who are not. You might be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking, wow, this sounds nice that I can have a refuge in the midst of the storms, that I can have peace in the midst of this chaos. I can have joy in this darkness. And you can. You can. John 1.12 says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You can be a child of God. This is written for God's children right here, and you can be a child of God. God created everything a long time ago, and it was good. God is our creator, and he is the ruler of all. He is good, he is kind, he is loving, he is just, he is the judge of all, and he created mankind, he created us, he created you in his image. You were created in the image of the creator. But there's a problem, right? We've been separated from God by, by sin. Long ago, sin entered the world through one man, through Adam. 
he rebelled against God. And since then, we've been stuck in sin, disobeying God and breaking his laws. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we covet. We don't honor God as God, right? And so this leaves us with a problem. God being good and just has to punish wrongdoing. He has to punish sin. So that's what a good judge does. He doesn't let the guilty just walk free. Sin has to be dealt with. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. Talking about not just a physical death, but an eternity in hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that verse in John we read from, it says, To all who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus, you see, is the Son of God, and John says that Jesus is God. He came into the world. He came to the earth to give light to everyone. It says the world was made through him. Jesus, who is God, he made the world. He made us. And then he came in the flesh for us. And he did it to pay the penalty for our sin because sin has to be dealt with. So he came as both man and God and he walked here on the earth and he lived a perfect life, the life that we would need to live to be righteous and be in a right relationship with God the way that we were intended to be. And while he was here, after telling everyone the good news that he had come to save them, he went and he gave his life for us. He gave his life for you. He went and was crucified on the cross for our sins. All of our sins were laid upon him. He was buried in a tomb for three days. His body laid there. And on the third day, he showed his power over sin and death, and he rose from the grave. And he did this so that we could have peace with God, so that you could have peace with God. To those who receive him, to those who believe, those who trust him, he gives the right to become children with God, to have peace with God. And Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified or made right, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So if you want to be able to claim this good and wonderful news in Psalm 46 that God is our refuge and strength, if you want to be saved from your sins and from eternity in hell, if you want to be a child of the living and all-powerful God, then believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Trust Him with your life and confess with your mouth this morning that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Turn away from your sin and running your own life and trust him with it. There is no one better to trust your life with. Amen, church? Amen. Coming back to Psalm 46, I want you to notice something. Um, this psalm is a song, yes. But it is a song that is essentially a declaration of truth. There are not many commands in it. We'll talk about the commands in just a moment. But it is declaring truths about God. So if we were to sing Psalm 46, which we're going to sing a song written from Psalm 46 here in a little bit, we would be declaring to God, declaring to each other and anyone listening, that God is indeed our refuge and our strength. God is a very present help in trouble. And we're declaring we will not fear. The psalm does not say do not fear. 
There are scriptures that say do not fear. The psalm doesn't say that, though. It says we will not fear. We will not fear even though all this is happening. This song being sung is a declaration together that we will not fear. It's a declaration that God makes his people glad. It's a declaration that God is with us so we will not be moved. God will help us. Psalm 130, which we looked at um, a few weeks back, is a cry out to the Lord for help. We're asking him, we're told to ask him. This is a declaration that God is this. God is with us. God is our fortress. God does stop wars. He does destroy threats. And he will be exalted among the nations. God is with us, church. God is our fortress. That is a beautiful and much-needed reminder for us. Amen? But there are two things that we are told to do in this psalm. The first is to come, it says, behold the works of God. This is both a command and an invitation here. Behold, right here the word for it means to gaze at, like mentally, to perceive or to contemplate with pleasure. We're told to think about, to meditate on, to contemplate, again, with pleasure, what God has done. In the midst of whatever it is in your life that is threatening you, that is trying to drag you down, that is worrying you, church, think on what God has done. Recall and remember with joy what you've seen God do in your life. I'm sure if we really took the time to think and ponder, we could spend hours here today together giving testimony after testimony of all the things God has done in our lives. But somehow we so quickly forget when we're in another situation what God did for us back then. So listen to me, church. God has brought you through some incredible things. He has brought you through some incredible things. He has blessed you all in ways that you probably have not even thought about. He has done great works in your life, And in your moment of worry or despair or whatever else it is right now, contemplate with joy what God has done in your life. And don't stop there. Think about, meditate on, contemplate what God has done in other people's lives. We're uh, roughly a month, month and a half away from our Thanksgiving service. It's one of our favorite services because everybody gets to come up here and share the wonderful things that God has done in their life to encourage each other. Ask for testimonies from your fellow church members. Read missionary biographies, one of the best things you can do for yourself. Read missionary biographies and discover the wonders God has done as people testify how God has worked in their lives. Listen to some great Christian audiobooks. I can give you recommendations if you want. Or find there's some great sermons on Uh, the internet out there, but these things are all going to have stories of the wonders God has done as people testify to what he has done. And then don't stop there either. Dig into God's word. If you want the best place to go to see the wonders God has done, then open your Bible. It's full of incredible wonders. And each time I read through the Bible, I find more somehow I miss, wow, like God, you did that? That's, That's awesome. We are told to behold the works of the Lord. And not just read them, 
Remember, ponder, contemplate. You're going to sit there and you're going to think, wow, like what has God done? And then we are also commanded, it says, to be still or to cease striving and know that God is God. So often we try to fix everything in our lives. We try to fix it. We try to fix, especially guys, we, we're fixers. Um, we want to fix whatever we think is wrong. We try ho- so hard to make everything the way that we want it. And then we end up anxious and tired and scared. Because we cannot fix everything. Church, we can't fix everything. Without God, we can't fix anything. All right? We need fixing. Our hearts need fixing. And only God can do that. And we need to recognize that. And so sometimes we just need to stop striving. And we need to see that we're trying to do things in our own power. And we need to go back to that that first thing. Again, behold the works of the Lord We need to get into his word. We need to calm ourselves and go to the river who supplies that peace, that gladness, that joy. We need to go back to God and remind ourselves that God is God and we are not God. The Lord of hosts, the creator of all, he is God and he is with us. He is our fortress. There's many things that, honestly, we just have to wait and see how God will save us. We have to wait and see how God will save us. I can think of a time early in Laura and I's marriage when we had gotten ourselves into a difficult spot. Um, We thought we'd be able to do something, and we were not, and we're on the hook for thousands of dollars we did not have. Um, And we'd been striving really hard to try and fix it, and it just wasn't going to be fixed. And the only thing we could do was be still and bring our situation before the Lord and wait for Him to deal with it. And you know what? He did. He brought peace, made a couple of calls, and the person we talked to decided we didn't need to pay anything. And I know 100% it was God who moved and acted to save us in that situation. Church, behold the works of the Lord and be still before him. He is God, and he is the God who works all things for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. That's his children. This psalm doesn't mean that we're never going to face raging storms in our life or trouble or distress. On the contrary, it testifies that these things are things we're going to face, right? We're going to face them. This psalm is not saying we won't face trouble. The world is going to face trouble, and so are we. But this psalm reminds us who our refuge is. This psalm reminds us that the Lord of hosts is with us. This psalm reminds us that God is in our midst and that true joy and gladness and peace is found in Him alone. But church, what good is a refuge if you don't run to it? What good is a fortress if we don't flee to it? This psalm is a declaration, but it is also a reminder for all of us that God is our refuge and we need to run to Him. Money is not our refuge. We may face financial problems, but money is not going to be your refuge in that. God is. The government is definitely not our refuge. Um, Netflix is not our refuge. Sometimes 
That's where we run to, right? We want to go just chill. Instead of chilling in the presence of the Lord, we chill in the presence of the TV. When, when it says be still and know, know that I am God, it's not saying be still in front of your computer. A bomb shelter is not our refuge. And then this could be all sorts of different things, but sin is not our refuge. Sin is not our refuge, church. We need to be reminded God is our refuge and stop running to all those other places. We need to be reminded that God is the source of our peace. God is the source of our gladness. He is the source of our joy. And when we run to those other places, we aren't going to be satisfied. We want that river whose streams make glad, right? That is God. That's where you're going to find your peace. He is where you're going to find your joy and your gladness. My prayer this week has been that this psalm would remind us, remind each one of you where your refuge and strength and help is really found in God alone. Going back to Romans 8 again, what can separate us from the love of Christ, church? Distress, danger, famine, suffering, tribulation? Cannot separate us, not even death. Not even death can separate us. God is our refuge and our salvation. Even death in this life simply hastens us home to be with him. We are safe and we are secure in the arms of our loving God forever. Amen? So we're going to pray together and then we're going to sing Psalm 46 together. You would stand with me. Oh God... The world around us is in turmoil. There are wars. There's rumors of wars. Wickedness runs rampant in our culture. People call evil good and good evil. And many in our country seem to hate you and your word more and more each day. By all appearances, our government is run by people who don't know up from down. Chaos reigns and they try to shove Insanity and falsehood down our throats and into the minds of our children in school especially. And the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. And in our own personal lives, God, we so often feel the roaring and the foaming of the sea. Troubles can be many and overwhelming. And I know there are people here this morning that feel hopeless or feel like they're in despair because of things going on in their lives. They feel as if they're being tossed around by the waves of the sea. But God, we declare this morning that you are our refuge. God, you are our strength. You are near to us. You are in our midst. You are a very present help in times of trouble. Oh God, help us to behold your works and meditate on who you are and what you do. Help us to cease striving and trust in you and fill us with joy and gladness that we would rejoice in you. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So God, turn our hearts from sin and turn our hearts to you and help us to run to you instead of all those other things. And Jesus, we also bring before you 
together as a church right now, anyone in this room who has yet to trust in your name for salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins. We ask that in your great mercy, you would grant them saving faith. Salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name by which we can be saved but yours, Jesus. Grant them salvation. As we sing now and we declare the many truths of your word, as we praise you for who you are and what you do, move our hearts to a place of trust, that we'd be able to sing with full confidence and trust and belief that what we are singing is true. Help us to see that you are our refuge and that you are here in our midst right now. Pray this in Jesus' name.